I, I love Thanksgiving. I think I have confessed this to you guys many a times. Um, I love Thanksgiving for lots of reasons, uh, but let's be honest, I just really love the food, right? Can I get an amen for the food at Thanksgiving? So we pack ourselves, we eat as much as we possibly can, and then at the end of the meal at my mom's house, she looks at me and she says the two, uh, just really uh, the words that cause a lot of indecisiveness for me, and those two words are pumpkin or pecan. And my response is just a little bit of both, which in Chad terminology means how much, let's just see how much we can cram onto that little dessert plate that we get. So Thanksgiving is behind us, and uh, we this morning are going to turn the corner towards the Christmas season. Even though um, the radio stations did that back, I think, before Halloween. (laughs) Um, Hobby Lobby did it back in July, from what my wife tells me. Um, uh, Target, all of every place else that we've been, Christmas has kind of been at the forefront of our minds. We've been through Thanksgiving, we've stopped, we've paused, we've thanked the Lord for His faithfulness and His goodness and provision to us and for us over the past year and in the goodness of Jesus. And now we turn our hearts and our minds fully toward the advent, toward the coming of Jesus, the incarnation, God uh, becoming flesh, taking on flesh and dwelling among us. So we start to do all of the preparations around our house. We, we get out familiar decorations We begin to sing familiar songs. We um, start to tell, again, the familiar story of sweet baby Jesus asleep in the hay. But this morning, as we turn our minds towards a text that will likely be a familiar Christmas passage to us, um, my, my prayer and my hope is that we will have fresh eyes as we read it, that we will have fresh ears as we hear it, and that God, um, in his presence with us this morning, would do a work that really genuinely prepares our hearts and minds and focuses focuses our attention toward Jesus in the coming days. So if you'll turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It'll be on the screen as well if you don't have your Bible with you. So this is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, was resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus." So when we read this text this morning, we really are, we're truly reading something amazing. This is the fulfillment of of a promise, a promise that generations and generations had been waiting to be fulfilled. There had been 400 years of silence, 400 years. I don't think that the majority of us can even wrap our minds around the idea of 400 years of silence. We almost drive ourselves crazy when we send a text message and don't get a response within like, 
30 seconds. So imagine God giving his word, making a promise, saying something to his people, and God being with his people in in so many different ways, speaking truth through prophets. And then after the prophets, there's this vast silence, 400 years. And then we get to this. We get to this passage, this foretelling, this recounting of the coming of the Messiah. So we read here that Mary was pregnant, that she would give birth to the Son of God, the one who would do exactly what his name Jesus meant, the one who would come to save the people from their sins. So an angel appeared to Mary's fiancé and told him what was going on, how he should respond to his wife, how he should care for his soon-to-be son, and the name, the title that he should give him, Emmanuel, that God is with us. So we see, and I really want to hone in on these two verses here today. Matthew in chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23, we're we're going to look really specifically at this. What Matthew does in his recounting is he connects the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, to the words of Isaiah in chapter 7. So the words that a, a prophet had spoken some 700 years prior, some 700 years earlier, Matthew connects to the coming of Jesus. So look with me again. This is verses 22 and 23 of Matthew chapter 1. All this, all of everything that Matthew has just said from verses uh, even 1 through 25, the genealogy of Jesus, his family line, his family tree, to verse 18, that a virgin Mary had conceived and would bear a son, that the angel appeared to Joseph, who was of the family and line of David, that family tree that is listed before in the beginning of Matthew 1. All of this has taken place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This is exactly what John wrote about in the first chapter of his gospel. He said the word that God himself had taken on flesh and that he has dwelt among us. That this perfect presence of Jesus has ushered in a new way to have relationship, to have relationship with God. This is good news for us this morning, friends. This is good news for us that Jesus has come and he has created a way for us to have relationship with the perfect and holy creator God of the universe. The one who spoke everything into existence. The one whose presence has no beginning and presence has no end. God, through Jesus, has made a way for us to have relationship with him. When this baby who lays in a manger, when we look at him, he's the one that put on flesh and he came And he lived the life that God intended for us to live. One with no interruption, no break in relationship between man and God. And then what Jesus does is he takes on the result, the punishment, that the life that we actually do live, that it has earned us. Our disobedience, our selfishness, our turning inward instead of turning upward toward God, our self-reliance our offenses towards God, all of those things that we do, they earn us separation. They earn us the opposite of relationship. But this good news for us is that Jesus, this baby, has come, that God has come with us, that he lived perfection in our place, that he took death, the punishment 
for our offenses towards God. He took that in our place. And then he ascends from the grave. He raises from the dead and he is in heaven with God for all of eternity, preparing a place for us to come and live with him. He exchanges our offenses, our sin for his righteousness. He exchanges our condemnation, our forever separation from God with an open invitation to sit at the kingdom table of our heavenly father, never to be separated from him again. This is good news for us. That Jesus, this baby who has come, is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of mine. God has come. He is with us. So this morning, we're going to look at this idea of presence. We're going to focus in, and there's several different ways that we could go with this. This is one specific perspective we're going to look at this morning just from where this, these two verses kind of point us in that direction. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at God with us. Second, we're going to look at us with God. And third, we're going to look at me with you. So God with us, us with God, me with you. So the Bible gives um, a great record of God's presence among his people. Um, The way that uh, Genesis, God's word, his revelation to us starts is God uh, speaking all things into creation. And then we see that God, um, he creates man and woman, and we see that God has perfect relationship with them. He's walking with them in the garden. We see even after man's offense towards God, after choosing disobedience, that God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's at, at sunset, and he goes looking for Adam and Eve. It's unhindered, perfect relationship with God. His presence was full, and it was there. We see, um, we see with Abraham and Sarah, we see that God meets with them over a meal. With Moses, we see that God meets with him in a, in a burning bush. With God's special family, his chosen people, Israel, we see that he cares for them in the desert. His presence is real and unmistakable through a pillar of cloud that would protect them from the sun during the day and a pillar of fire at night that would give them light and would give them warmth. His presence was real and unmistakable. God's presence had a home through the creation of the tabernacle where God's presence dwelled. And it was with such intricacy and detail that God's special dwelling place here on earth was crafted by the hands of men that that God would reside there. God's words were spoken. His presence was made real through the words of the prophets those that would tell of God's love for his people and the judgment that would come for those who do not turn their hearts toward him. The words of the prophets that would tell of Jesus' coming finally for us and with us. And then finally we see in Jesus the presence of God, all of these words wrapped up in flesh of a man. But then it doesn't stop there. Jesus' last words in the Great Commission, um, as he's standing there with his disciples before he ascends into, into heaven, what promise does he make them as he leaves? He says, and lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Even before that, Jesus had told his disciples, he said, it's better for you that I would leave so that the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God, the comforter, the helper, the counselor, that he would come and be with you 
live inside you, that God's presence would no longer dwell within a tabernacle made by man's hands, but actually within the men, the, the, the lives of men and women would, that would repent of their self-reliance and their independence and believe in the goodness of God through the person of Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit of God, his presence would live in and among us. We see a long-standing uh, account of God's character, his desire for his presence, for him, for God himself to be with his people, to be with me, to be with you. So God is with us. The, the theological term that is used for this is omnipresence, that God is in all places at all times. So there's no place in all of the universe, in all of history, Wrap your mind around this at 9.30 on Sunday morning, that there is no place in all of history, in all of creation, in all of the universe that God himself, that his presence is not, has not, or will not be. He's omnipresent, all places at all times. And on a big picture level, when we look at this kind of in the macro stance, we stand back and we look at it and we think, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. This is awe-inspiring. That God who spoke all things into creation would remain in and around and among in his creation for all of historical time, in all places, at all times, that God would do that. There's two passages I want to reference quickly. Um, One is uh, Psalm 139, and this is verses 7 through 12. These two verses give us kind of a, a, a big picture view or look at God's omnipresence, his, his presence in all places at all times. The writer of, of Psalms 139 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where f- shall I flee from your presence? If I ascended to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely darkness shall come over me and light be about me, light about me be night. Even the darkness does not cover you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. The presence of God in all places at all times. This is Jeremiah 22 verses 20, or Jeremiah 23 verses 23 and 24. It says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? declares the Lord. This is our God, that he alone would be able to do this, that there is no place that we can go to escape his presence. And on a big picture level, friends, this is huge for us. Our God, he is with us in all places at all times. But on a personal level, it can bring a whole different set of emotions This is both comforting and it's horrifying. It's the difference between being invited, your presence being invited to a wedding and your presence being invited to your supervisor's office for a late afternoon meeting. There are some places that you are, that that I am, that the only person, if we can only have one person's presence with us in that room, that we want the divine presence of God there with us in that moment, offering hope and comfort and peace, and care. 
We want him with us in those moments where we need what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He extends all of that comfort, every bit of comfort that can be encompassed in the entire universe. God has control of every piece of it. And we want him to rain that comfort and that peace down on us. And then there are moments in our lives that the very last person, the last presence that we would want in the room is the presence of God. Like when I look at Holly lovingly in a way that thinks I know you can read my mind because she can, she's superwoman. I look at her and she looks at me, she looks in my eyes. I don't say anything until what I'm thinking does not happen because I think she can read my mind, my expectations, they go unmet. And then my response to her is one of selfishness, of pride, the opposite of Jesus, the opposite of the man that God has intended for me to be as one who leads my wife in the way that Christ leads us as the church, as the man who leads my family in a way that points us all directly towards the person and our need for Jesus. The last place that I want the presence of God is in that moment. I don't want him there to see that. I don't want him there to know that I'm uh, offensive. I don't want him there when I'm hiding things in the shadows of my life that I want no one else to see. When God's greatest desire is to shine the freeing light of Jesus on those dark places. The last place we want him is in those spots. But what the scriptures tell us is that the presence of God is everywhere, all places, all times. That God is with us. And this morning, as we focus on this truth of that little baby Jesus laying in the precious moments nativity next to your Christmas tree, that not only is God in all places at all times, but God is with you. And God is with, God is with me. Now, through the good news of Jesus, the presence of God is available to everyone. Unhindered relationship. So we have God with us, but what about us with God? How do we respond to him? And and honestly, the bigger question that I want to ask this morning is that as I talk about the presence of God with us, it's difficult sometimes to go from this kind of like big, heady, ethereal idea of the presence of God with us to even the presence of God in my life. But sometimes we, uh, we don't recognize that something should be there until it's not. So there are those of us in the room this morning that as, as we talk about and kind of hone in on this presence of God idea, your biggest question is, okay, so I understand God is omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. But the last thing that I'm feeling, and I'm feeling lots of things, is that the presence of God is with me. I feel more alone. I feel more frustrated. I feel more like I keep praying and nothing keeps happening. I feel like I'm looking towards this Christmas season and I'm going to be around all these people, but at the same time feel like I am kind of stuck in a room by myself and nobody really even cares about me or the fact that I am by myself, especially not, especially not God. So what do we do when we don't feel God's presence? How do we respond to this? The first question that I would ask this morning for us, and I I do this in no way to plant doubt, but the first question I would ask is, have you repented? Have you turned from life and separation from God and turned to full life and faith and, and belief through Jesus Christ? 
Have you given your life literally to God through the open invitation that he gives us in Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? This is where the fullness of God's presence begins in our lives. That his spirit would indwell us, that he'd live inside of us. Do you have a relationship with God? But then when God seems absent, if you do have a relationship with Christ, there are three questions I want to kind of drop on the screen this morning. Just to kind of think through and process as we think about us with God when we don't experience, we don't feel his presence. The first is, is do I have any stubborn or unconfessed sin? This is the first barrier and the only barrier that has come up between us and God. And it came in on the outset of creation, on the front end of history, that sin would enter our common story and would create a rift in the relationship and the the connectivity that we have with our creator, holy God. So is there anything in your life, is there anything in my life when I'm questioning where is the presence of God in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my confusion, in the midst of my trying to pursue pleasure and hope in this world that I get to live in, is there anything that I need to repent of? Is there anything that I am aware of that I need to say to God that the death of Jesus has bought forgiveness for me in this and Father God, I am, I'm sorry that I've been living on my own in this way, that I've been even lifting up myself as my own God in this way. Will you forgive me? Forgiveness has been offered to us through Jesus. There's no need for his presence to be hindered by our unconfessed sin. The second is, am I trusting emotion? Am I trusting emotion rather than trusting God's truth? And this one's really hard, guys. It's really, really hard. Because it is so easy um, just in life in general to live life based off of the experience. What we feel, what we are sensorily exposed to, how we feel like maybe God is intervening or not intervening, how he's answering or not answering, how he's hearing or not hearing. And base all of our reality off of what we are experiencing. And not the fact that there is this God who is who we have talked about this morning. He is above all things, he is in all things, he has created all things, and he has revealed himself to us so that we don't have to be swayed back and forth by the switching of our emotions or the way that we feel one day as opposed to the way that we feel the other. Because let's be honest, that can shift from moment to moment, minute to minute, day to day. But he's given us firm truth and reality in the revelation of himself through Jesus and through specifically through Scripture. His word tells us that he is here and that he is with us. Are we trusting emotion or experience rather than trusting in God's truth for us? This is um, Richard Foster. He's a great writer. He, uh, he wrote a book that was real pivotal in my own life called Celebration of Discipline. Um, he uses this example in, in talking about prayer. He says, if you walk into a room and you flip on a light switch and the light doesn't come on, your first response is not, this whole electricity thing is a sham that never existed in the first place. Right? That's not the way things work. We don't flip it and the light bulb doesn't come on and we think, electricity, it never happened. What we think is there's got to be something wrong. There's got to be something going on here, right? Maybe the light bulb has gone out. That's my automatic kind of like reflex response. Maybe the light bulb has gone out. Maybe I need to just change that guy out. 
Maybe the light switch has broken. I need to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and I need to try and swap that out. Something's broken. Something's not working. Maybe there's a power outage and I didn't even realize that it was happening because it's daylight outside and for some reason the bulb isn't turning on. And the same way should go with our response to God. We don't automatically move into a space where we don't feel his presence and then move into a spot to where we think we just don't, he, he never cared about me in the first place. He was never there at all. And we create this own reality based off of our emotion rather than God's truth for us that's revealed to us in his word. So we hear about God's presence with us. We acknowledge that he is here and we celebrate that at Christmas. And when we're faced with that question of what about not feeling his presence now, today, here, in our given situation, what do we do with that? The third would be um, asking the question, what can I learn from the Lord in this season? This season, What in this space where I feel like he's not there, but he is, what can I learn in this unique place that I may not learn otherwise? Instead of just washing the whole thing and seasoning it with frustration and, and hurt that has no hope and, and pain that has no comfort, Asking the bigger question, affirming the fact that God is with us in the middle of this. So what does he have me to learn? How would he want to shape me to look more like his son Jesus on the other side of this season? Because that's what he intends. How would he want to shape me to look like his son Jesus on the other side of this? What would he have me to learn? God with us, us with God. He's here. He's he's with us. And then the last thing that I want to look at this morning is the idea of me with you. This, um, this sentence that I am about to read to you has been more impactful to me probably over the past six weeks than, um, than lots of things in probably the past six years. The presence of God fully allows us to be fully present with others. The presence of God fully allows us to be fully present with others. So God's presence is with us, whether we acknowledge it or understand it or feel like he's with us in the moment. And his presence is with us for so many reasons. He wants us to experience his care and his character. But God also wants us to experience his presence so that we can then extend our presence uh, to other people. So I want you to just think about this with me here. When we think about Jesus's presence, when we think about the, the baby that's born in the manger that's laying in the hay, that baby grew up to be a man. He went through adolescence. He went through um, a voice change. He went through all of the things that happen in, in typical human growth. And he, he became a man, and we see his interactions with people. Some of them are recorded within the Gospels, recorded in the Scriptures. And we see Jesus, we see his active physical presence in a way that makes us go from that big idea of God is omnipresent, he's in all places and all times, to what does that mean for God to literally be with me? And for me to literally be with others, to offer my presence to others the way that God has offered his presence to me. We see that in the scriptures, we see that in the gospels, how Jesus interacted and offered his presence to people. We see how Jesus values people because Jesus values us. We look in the scriptures and we follow Jesus as people who have placed our hope and our faith and given our lives literally to him. We follow Jesus into this everydayness of life, into human interactions. 
the seemingly mundane and the things that look unavoidably marvelous. We see that Jesus notices the people, the things, the places that are directly in front of him, and he sees the character of his heavenly father, the character that he possesses, evident in the people that are directly around him. He, he's present in the moment with the people who are around him. He stops. He pauses. He reflects. He is there. We see this in Jesus. And we see that as we follow Jesus, this is what he desires for us as well. That as God extends his presence to us through Christ, that as we're following Jesus, his desire for us is that we would then extend our presence to those whom we are around. That we would see the people that are directly in front of us, the places, the things, the, uh, the things that we see, the places that we, we go, and we would see the character kingdom of our Heavenly Father in a way that points our hearts and our minds and those who we are around toward the goodness of God. We don't see Jesus glossing over people. We don't see Jesus running down a dirt road with his robe flying in the dust, trying to get from one place to the next telling people that he doesn't have space. We see Jesus even in some spots where the disciples would say, leave Jesus alone. He doesn't have time for you. He doesn't have space for you. Don't bother the teacher. Don't bother the master. What is his response? Let him come to me. Stop. Let me, let me be here for a minute. She touched me. She needed, she needed healing. We see Jesus' firm and confident presence with people. But we also don't see Jesus just kind of sluggishly walking his way through the fields. We don't see him with his, like his feet are on fire, trying to walk as fast as he can from one place to the other, not offering his presence to people. But we don't see God kind of lazily daydreaming in Jesus. We don't see um, him lazily daydreaming through the fields, just seeing how slow he can go and how long he can linger. We see this balance this balance of both presence and purpose. And this is what God would intend for us as we are following Jesus. And this balance, it gets increasingly difficult. It gets really hard. And I don't want to stand up here this morning and start to lament modernity and technology because, friends, it just, it is what it is. We're living where we're living. Technology affords us and it offers us what it affords us and it offers us. And it's just something new to distract and soothe our minds and pull us away from reality. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to respond to it? It wasn't like God created all these things and then he was like, oh, one day uh, technology is going to pop up and I'm going to be surprised. So let's all be surprised. He knew that this was coming our way. So when we see that we have this opportunity to be present or not be present, to be distracted or not be distracted, to be fully engaged with presence and purpose. And we start to think about all the things around us that would maybe pull us away from that. God's not surprised with that. This hasn't caught him by surprise. The question for us is, so how do we follow Jesus in it? If Jesus is Emmanuel, if that's his title, if God is with us, we see that in the way that he lived with people patiently, caring, living, giving presence, attention, knowing their situation, asking questions of their lives, speaking into who they are in times where he was ready to receive and in times the way the Gospels record it was just kind of like this happenstance interaction. We see this in Jesus. He models this for us. 
So how will we live like Christ in discipleship as we're following Jesus with both, with both purpose and presence? Will we follow Jesus genuinely offering our presence to people or will we constantly be looking over their shoulder or to the phone in our hand in fear of what we might be missing out on? This one hurts. This hurts because the question for us this morning is, are we offering presence the way that God has offered us presence in himself and Jesus? Are we living divided, distracted, frenetic, frenzied lives? And friends, the answer is, if we are living in this place where we are too busy to care about people the way that God cares about us, where we are too divided to offer our presence to the people that are directly in front of us, we are missing out. And we don't get it back. We don't get it back. The seconds that I'm spending right now, the minutes that you're spending in these pews, we don't get to pull them back at another point in time. We don't get a do-over. There is no Groundhog Day in all of this. This is it. And it counts. As we are following Jesus, are we legitimately offering purposeful presence to the people that are in front of us? In John uh, chapter 13, uh, chapters 13 and 15, um, Jesus says this to his disciples. He, he says, um, he says uh, to love one another as I have loved you. Care for one another as I have loved you. And this is just a really tall charge that, that God is, uh, Jesus is, is, is saying that, that we should love like Jesus loves, that we should love like God himself loves, with perfection, without record keeping. This whole like 1 Corinthians 13 idea of love where we see the very nature and character of God in his loving kindness kind of pop up for us on grand display. Jesus is saying, you love one another, you care for one another the same way that I have loved you. And we can translate that this morning to just a base ground level of we have to be present with one another purposefully present, fully engaged with one another, to actually love one another the way that Jesus has loved us, to actually love one another the way that God has loved us through the person, the person of Christ. Not to tolerate one another. Jesus doesn't just tolerate us. Not to half-heartedly listen to one another. That's not the way that Jesus responds to one another, responds to us. Or to just pay attention to one another until something else better comes along. Because that's not the way that Jesus responds to us. He says to love one another the way that he has loved us. So I have just three more questions for us this morning. When balancing this idea of presence and purpose, maybe just three things to think through. As we talk about this tension of trying to be fully engaged and present where we are and maybe even thinking of kind of a cache of circumstances in our own lives where we've maybe missed out on the people that are in front of us because of some other thing that's robbed us of presence. Not just physical location, but being physically there, emotionally, mentally, cognitively engaged with the people who are around us. Uh, First question is, do I value productivity over people? Do I value productivity over people? Do I value getting things done over the opportunity that I have to engage the people that are directly in front of me? Do I value, and you guys have heard this from my mouth, do you value the checklist? Do you value the honey-do list at home? 
Do you value cleaning out the email inbox at the end of the day? Do you value making sure that your calendar appointments are set correctly for the following day? And you're missing out on your roommate, on your parents, on your kids, on your wife, all for the sake of productivity. Not valuing the people. I'm not saying be lazy. I'm not saying to dumb down your work ethic. I'm saying that God would not desire something for you that he has not equipped you, has not equipped us for. Do we value productivity over people? Number two, do I value what people can do for me over who they are? Do I value what people can do for me over who they are? And we see this even kind of tied to the idea of productivity, not just being in the presence of someone to literally be the hands and feet of Jesus to them, because that's what the scriptures tell us that we are when we follow Christ, but seeing how can they help me get where I want to go? How can they make me feel better about myself or validate me in a certain way? How can this relationship serve me the best? Do we value what people can do for us over who they are? And then the last is, do I value thinking about what's next over being present where I am? Do I value thinking about what's next over being present where I am? I am convinced that there are a number of us in this room that need some space to detox that need to make a conscious decision that we're going to walk out of this room and we are not going to let another interaction with our wife, with our husband, with our kids, with our roommate, with our parents, with our neighbor, with our coworker. We're going to do everything we can to hold on to those interactions, to be fully present, to be fully engaged. That as we follow Jesus and his extension of presence to us, as we follow Jesus and extending our presence and in turn his presence to the people that we come in contact with, that not only are we this conduit of God's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and relationship to those that we're around, but at the same time, friends, we are fully alive. This is what God has created us for, for relationship with himself and with others that we would not miss out. That as God extends his presence to us, we offer our presence as brothers and sisters in following Jesus to one another. That we wouldn't be distracted, we wouldn't be deterred. We wouldn't look so inwardly that we can't see the people that are standing in front of us outwardly. But we would be purposefully present. God has purpose in his presence with us so that we can have purpose in our presence with others. As we look at this good news this morning, as we turn our hearts toward Advent, towards Christmas, towards the coming of Jesus, there are all sorts of things that will potentially come toward us that will try and rob us of being in the moment with the people that are around us. Our calendars will fill the list of things that we, that we need to get done that actually need to be done. They will happen But the question we need to ask this morning is, as we're celebrating God's literal presence with us in Jesus, are we present? Are we present with those who are around us? Are we present with God? Are we meeting with God on our own? God's been purposefully present with us so that we will be purposefully present with others. So as we kind of tie all of this down this morning, this good news of God's presence with us through Jesus, 
The first question that, that we have to ask ourselves is do we know God's presence through the person of Jesus by having a relationship with him? Have you repented? Have you turned from your own idolatry of puffing yourself up and pursuing your own pleasure and trying to find contentment and happiness in anything that you can find around you and turned to true satisfaction and fulfillment in the life that God offers you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? At the end of the service this morning, at the end of our time together, there are going to be some pastors and volunteers down here that if you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus, to find hope and happiness in him, true relationship with him. We'll be down here and there'll be some folks in the balcony as well. But for those of us this morning, as we look through this kind of God with us, us with God, me with you, I think there are three different responses that maybe the spirit may be kind of uh, pulling up inside of us. So I just want to kind of point our hearts in that direction and I'm going to give us some space to internally respond. The first is we talk about God's presence and you're, you're with me. Christmas is here. We're all on the same page. And so your response is gratitude. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving me the ability to be fully engaged with those who are around me the way that you're fully engaged with me. The second, this idea of us with God, those of us that are in the room, and you're, you're asking the question, God, you're, you're your presence, it's, I'm hearing that you're with me, I'm here that you're in the middle of this, but it sure doesn't seem like you are. Your response is just be near me, Lord Jesus. Help me to know your presence even when I can't see your active movement in front of me. Give me faith to move forward. Help me to trust your truth more than my emotion or experience. And then this last piece, this me with you, the tangible that's in front of you and is going to be sitting across from the dinner table um, whenever you go to lunch today or in the room next door to you when you go to sleep tonight or literally laying in the bed next to you is to ask God to help us be purposefully present because he's been so purposefully present with us in Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? As we think about, um, as we think about God's presence with us and kind of just already walked through those three potential responses, maybe four, I'd ask for you to just sit for a second and respond. Respond from thanksgiving. Respond asking the Lord to be near you. Asking the Lord to help you be near to others. Let's just sit for a second. You pray on your own. Know that God hears you, that he loves you, that he's with you. Father, this morning we thank you that you are good to your word. That in Jesus you came and you put on a body and that you lived here and you experienced everything we do in life. And that just like he promised when he left your spirit, he came and he lives inside of of those of us who place our faith in, in your son, Jesus. That you're good to your word, that you are here with us. 
And God, this morning, I thank you that you're good to your word, that, that when we talk about your character, when we talk about who you are, when we talk about your presence being here with us, that your spirit, he does something inside of us. He quickens in us this reality that is yours, calling us to follow your son, Jesus, to follow him in presence, to follow him in gratitude, to follow him in belief. So God, this morning, I would pray that you would do in our hearts and in our lives what only you can do by being with us, beside us, that we wouldn't get lost in the familiarity of of the Christmas season, but we would be caught up by the truth that God, you are here, you are with us. And Jesus reminds us that you care about us, you love us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.